0: everybody tony here and i'm going to set up today's space junk podcast episode today we're going to kind of switch things up a little bit instead of talking with a guest we're going to be discussing some cool space facts these are things that we think about Because as amateur astronomers, we are often looking up into the night sky, and in some cases we're looking down into an eyepiece of our telescope. And every once in a while, it's nice to take a moment and think about what's going on behind the scenes of some of these objects that we're looking at. And so today we thought we'd take some time in this episode to discuss cool space facts. And on Dustin's end of the microphone, he is joined by Shauna Sullivan, a Telescope Tech that joined OPT after participating in one of their imaging projects that they often hold. You can learn about them through their Instagram feed and and other social media outlets that they have. And then after participating in this imaging project where many people contributed, she also became a member of the OPT family. So she joins us as well to discuss some really cool things that are going up in the night sky. We hope you enjoy this episode. So let's get started. in telescopes and accessories. Today's episode, we are going to talk about Space facts. This is where if you ever want to be the life of a party, and who doesn't, then we're going to give you some facts about space and astronomy that will make you very popular at the party. And everybody knows that there's nothing like astronomy facts to make you the life of the party. So you show up at at a party and go, hey, guys, I got some space facts for you. And man, immediately, you are the center of attention.
1: I like how you can't even start saying it without without laughing, man. (laughs) Because everybody does that, right? Everybody brings their space facts to a party.
0: Of course you do. You're just nobody. You're not going to get invited. you do not have the A-list if you don't have at least two or three cool space facts to get the conversation started. So today, if you don't have any, if you are one of those sad souls who do not have space facts handy to take with you to a party then this is your episode we have got you covered <laughs>
1: to a party
0: oh,
1: like you're you're like all right guys kill the music kill the music i got something to say
0: everybody ding 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 <laughs>
1: yeah and yeah once you're ready to stand up and you've got the crowd's attention
0: this is what you'll need over the party yeah this is what you'll (laughs) need did you know that the earth's (laughs) magnetic field is reversing (gasps) oh that's right oh man
1: oh my god all so right. so, there so you go. we've we've got some facts that we think are interesting. I know you do as well, Tony. Um, yeah. But let's. Uh, what's going to happen is we're going to get halfway through our facts, and then we're going to turn it over to you and say, "Why is that?" <laughs> oh, great.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we're glad you're here, man. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. the life of the party. The the party may commence. Okay, go for it.
1: There is one that I'll I'll kick us off right because this one I thought the first time I heard it I thought okay that's that's exaggerated. There's no way that's real. And, um, I don't know the exact numbers. I don't know how they would have figured out these exact numbers, but let's talk about Saturn's rings for a second. Right. Because if okay. you're, if you're not interested in Saturn, I feel like there's part of you that may not be human
0: <laughs> That's right. because it's,
1: yeah. it's just, I mean, it's the jewel of the night sky. It really yeah. is. Right. Yeah. And, and so, awesome. yeah, it is. You can't look at it. and not, I mean, everybody looks at it, it's like, oh, that's fake. That's yeah, fake. there's it, no way that's real.
2: Yeah, the first time I seen it through a telescope, it literally looked like a sticker that was placed on there. It was, it was pretty amazing. That's what everybody yeah. says it's, it's a sticker on the front sticker. of the telescope.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so they
0: always, they always look through the eyepiece and they look up through yes. the sky and then they're back in the eyepiece and they're like, yeah. wait a minute. They walk gotta, around you to, you walk around check to check the front, front of, of the scope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you gotta check the first <laughs> yeah. I was guilty oh, of that. There, there it on that is. It's hanging off the secondary. There it is. I see it now. Yeah, I knew
1: it. So. So this is going to make you think that uh, Saturn is even more fake, right? Because this is, this is truly amazing. But so the ring span of Saturn is 180,000 miles wide, 180,000 miles. So that's big, but that's not what's, what's amazing about it. I think that in itself is amazing, but what really truly makes it remarkable is the estimates of the thickness of Saturn's rings in almost the whole distance is roughly three stories tall, 30 feet, 30 feet, which, which makes it proportionally the flattest known natural thing in the universe, right? Is Saturn's Saturn's rings. And so at the thickest place, it's measured to be half a mile thick, which when you think about it is what, like 20, what is that? 2,300 feet roughly. So, I mean, that's big, but that's not when you talk about 180,000 miles, (laughs) you would think at some point that's got to be I mean, that's got to be miles and miles. That's got to be, you know, 100 miles thick at some points.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Across a 100. Well, if you, you th- compare the diameter to the thickness ratio, it's probably, uh, that ratio is probably smaller than than a sheet of paper, you know, would be with a similar.
1: Yeah, ratio. I mean, what's, w- to, for comparison, how, how many miles across is the earth in diameter? I mean, the country, well, the United States, right? The United yeah. States is roughly, what,
0: 3,500? Yeah, about 3,000, yeah. 3,500 miles, yeah. So you so think are, about I that. think I think it's 7500 miles in diameter. have to look it up. Okay, My space well, factor.
1: Well, let's take uh, well the moon <laughs> is roughly fact, so Yeah, the moon it. is roughly the diameter of um, of the United States. Yeah. Right? So if we if we take that and we say that's what 3500 miles and then compare that compare like the moon's width to this 3500 miles to 180,000 miles and it really gives you scale of how big this really is yeah, to to be incredible. 30 feet just 33 stories tall that's unbelievable
2: yeah, yeah. and in the Insane.
1: and then the fact that we can see them yeah. from
0: earth right is pretty i mean it's absolutely incredible to me very good. Yep, it's it is one of the things, and we know how thin it is, or thin they are, the rings are, because Cassini, one of its final orbits, uh, before it, cru- it 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 burnt up in the, uh, the Saturnian atmosphere, was it um, it flew through the rings. So we know how deep, how, and it was a surprise. A lot of people were surprised at, uh, at the, at the properties that not only that Cassini measured of the rings themselves, but that thickness. So you're right. It's, uh, it's very, it's very, I don't know how unique it is, but it certainly is in our solar system. Right. To have something that large in diameter being that thin. Yeah. And so it was the thinnest natural. What?
1: Yeah, that's the fact that I got, uh, you know, online, which you, you can absolutely trust everything you read online, Tony. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know. I, yeah. I I do. Uh, <laughs> no fake facts here. What, but what right, did you right, say right. it was, the, the, it the says thinnest the, natural? Yeah, proportionally, the thinnest natural occurrence
0: in the universe that we know of. Oh, okay. Right, or, the or the
1: flattest, the flattest, yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I'm sure a lot of it is, uh, I don't know the, I'm not a planetary scientist, so I don't know why they're so thin, but they, uh, it has, must have a lot to do with the form, not only the formation of Saturn, but it's uh, magnetic fields and gravitational spins or gravit, or gravitational, uh, fields or whatever it is you want to call it. They probably ended up sculpting it that way. Um, but you know, Jupiter also has rings and, uh, they're just very, very thin and wispy. They're not as, uh, they're not as dense as Saturn's, but Jupiter also has rings. I didn't know that Jupiter had rings. I didn't rings. know that either. And actually. so does Uranus. And yeah. Uranus has rings.
2: Yeah, I heard. I heard of Uranus having rings. I didn't know about Jupiter. That's interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 So it's a so for gas giants, it's a pretty. I think it might at least in our solar system is a pretty common thing. But uh, yeah,
1: I feel like Jupiter just has so many moons that you know you might. Jupiter well yeah. gets everything, it.
2: man. Yeah. Jupiter <laughs> has all <always laughs> the fun, really that's all the fun
0: yeah well it is the big boy right it's the big boy on the block and there's a lot of people saying that we wouldn't even be here if it weren't for jupiter because it cleared out it clears out a lot of comets it clears out a lot of things that would otherwise hit earth so yeah it's kind of like
2: earth's bodyguard or something
0: (laughs) yeah exactly that's right that's uh that's what one of the one of the ideas about that are so so what else you got what so what, what what other cool space fact do you have so first,
1: I want to know, so I need you to describe to me and all the other listeners that don't know exactly what this is. So what is a neutron star?
0: Man, you, I, I, you didn't tell me I was going to be tested today. Because so, you know yeah, all yeah, these sure. things off the top of your head. <laughs> well, a neutron star is a remnant of a death of a much, much larger star. And they are sometimes um, uh, the what's left over from a... Uh, a, a, a supernova explosion. So what happens when a star dies and there's in the way it will die depends a lot on its, its mass, but for very, very large stars like blue giants and, and you know, stars like Rigel uh, and, and stars like that, that are huge and burn very hot and bright will die in a supernova explosion. And they'll, they'll do that. There's, there's several kinds, but one of them is a core collapse uh, supernova where the core of the star collapses it it can no longer maintain the weight of the star because it's run out of fuel and it collapses so fast that it explodes uh, most of its mass and then leaves behind a black hole Uh, that's a core collapse supernova and then there's other kinds of supernovae that one of the remnants is a neutron star and as the name suggests it is a star that does not any longer shine it is a made entirely of neutrons it's packed tightly tight tightly together it spins very rapidly lets out a lot of radio waves and pulsars are rapidly spinning neutron stars so the crab nebula when you take an image of the crab nebula that's a supernova remnant at its center is a pulsar and that pulsar is a rapidly spinning neutron star and these things are very heavy the these remnants and they don't shine was with, with uh nuclear fusion, they, they shine just from leftover heat. They're just embers of what's left over from the star. And so they glow, they shine uh, with uh, their leftover heat and they're so densely packed together that yeah, I'm sure you've heard this in, in high school that one teaspoonful of it would weigh some ridiculous amount of millions of tons, right? So uh, they're very dense and these neutrons are packed so tightly together that they reach something called a, um, what's the name of that limit? Oh boy. That's where you, where they're, where they're so tightly packed. There's absolutely no space left over in between the neutrons. And that's called uh well, I think it's called neutron degeneracy actually. And so that's that, 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 that is such a, a dense packing of material that it's also very, very heavy. And so that's what a neutron star is.
1: It's like, you knew where I was going with it. And, and first off, let me say, so you ask me, oh, like, why do you ask me that question or you don't give me any heads up? That's why right there, Tony. Because you know, <laughs> you just, I would have been like, oh, what's a neutron star? Well, have you seen the Crab Nebula? That thing in the middle of it. That's it. Like, that's all I got, you know? But listen to that. That that answer, beautifully answered. Beautifully answered. Oh, okay. All but right, then. I have the uh, the high school fact that you were talking about because it is very interesting. So a teaspoon of a neutron star would weigh? Do you want to guess? Do
0: either of you want to guess? It's like much? it's yeah. like millions of tons, isn't it? Yeah. How many millions? Uh, thirty-five point eight. Oh no, it's not that heavy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, did I blow your fact? Oh no, it's I only totally ten million. That. <laughs> it's oh. only ten million
1: tons, man. I mean, you could pick it up, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ten million tons in a, a ton. Spoon. Yeah. Wow, it, that's incredible. That's, I mean, a teaspoon. It would have to be one hell of a teaspoon.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm more impressed by the teaspoon. Yeah. To be honest with you. Well,
0: yeah. I want to know about the guy who goes out there and grabs that teaspoon. Right. And they know that. They always do that with teas. Like who thought that was a unit that would be worth. I guess it's because we can all visualize a teaspoon and we know a teaspoon full of this will weigh this many millions of tons. Wow. Uh It still doesn't help you really get a grip on just how, how heavy that is. So, um, so. Let me just clarify something I just said, because I looked it up on Wikipedia, that it is a collapsed core, a neutron star, but only of sol- of stars with mass between 10 and 29 solar masses. If you had something bigger, it would turn into a black hole. So there's a range. How a star dies depends entirely on its mass. Well, mostly on its mass. And so, so what it becomes afterward is that.
1: So anything bigger than you said, 29 times the size of our sun. The mass becomes- of the sun, yes. 29 times. So if it's 30 times, it becomes a black hole. hole.
0: Right. Because these are much, much larger stars. They tend to, they tend to, the, what happens is the, when the, then when the collapse happens, if it's only so if it's only so massive, then the collapse can be stopped by neutron degeneracy, by this fact that it's all packed together and it can't get packed any further. It just stops. But if it's heavier than that, then it overcomes even that neutron degeneracy and, pushes it even more into something called a singularity, which is a really weird thing that has uh, zero volume, takes up no space whatsoever. And yet it has infinite density and wow. that's a black hole. It just keeps on going. Yeah. a Certain mass.
1: Shauna, what do you have over here?
2: Um, so, you know, I, I've read that the, uh, the moon is spinning away from earth at almost 1.48 inches per year. Which is about the rate that your fingernails grow, right?
0: Say that again. What,
2: the moon is actually spinning away from the earth at 1.48 inches per uh, per yeah, year. Yeah, that's
0: right. That was going to be one yeah. of my facts. That's oh, so, was it? Was that, so hold on. Yeah, the, that's how cool that fact punch. is. Two of us independently <laughs> came up with it. So you're really going to shine at this party, folks, if you talk about this fact. So the moon is getting further
1: from the earth each year?
2: That's, that's, yeah, each year. So
1: why would that be? Why wouldn't it get closer since they both, um, you know, are pulling on each other? Are you asking me?
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh. Okay. I thought or Shauna, whichever one of you yeah. has the answer.
2: I don't have Go the answer, it. actually. <laughs>
0: oh, well, it's so the as we know, the Earth is going around. I'm mean, sorry, the other way around. The Moon is going around the Earth, and uh, there's a gravitational interaction between those two. And because we have oceans on our planet, uh, the gravitational pull of the Moon causes the mostly the oceans to bulge, but also the, uh, the, the rocky surface of the planet also gets squished a little bit. Something called an oblate spheroid, which is just sort of a squashed um, sphere. And the tidal friction that's caused by this actually transfers energy from the earth and gives it to the moon. So the moon actually starts going, gets, gets more energy. It gets pushed further and further out and, uh, the, it causes that energy that's given to the moon, not only causes the moon to get further away from us, but it also causes the earth to slow down. And the way I read this with my little article was that a hundred years from now, the day, the length of the earth day will be two milliseconds longer than it is right now. So it slows down the rotation.
1: So obviously the time scales make this irrelevant for anyone living today, but my question then would be, what
0: does that mean for solar eclipses
2: oh, down yeah. the road? Yeah.
0: That's right. But that, that's, an interesting, that's another interesting fact, isn't it? The Earth is the only body in the solar system that can have a total solar eclipse because the apparent size of the moon happens to equal the apparent size of our sun. And And it will no longer
1: be big enough to cause a total solar eclipse.
2: Yeah.
0: That's correct. So we'll just get annular eclipses as a result, which is what most of the um, solar system gets, which will be sad. But you're looking at two milliseconds. What's the me see here? Um, What are they doing here? I'm trying to see how far out it goes over time, but I don't see that particular fact. It's just how much it's slowing down the, the earth. That
1: force, that force is so much greater than, I mean, especially when you look at the moon and you consider how far away it is. I don't know off the top of my head how, how far that is, but I know it's a long, long distance, right? Right. And yeah, the moon's uh, about a
0: quarter of a million miles away. A quarter
1: yeah. million miles away. And for it to have that kind of impact on the earth and yeah. for them to have that kind of impact on each other. Just gravitationally, it's amazing when you think of the forces that are that are at play here, right? And Absolutely. then, like even the the tidal locking, right? Can you explain tidal locking for us, Tony?
0: Yeah, well, the uh, one lunar month is about twenty seven point something days, and that is also the exact same length of the lunar day. A day on the moon is twenty seven point something Earth days, and that when the length of the day matches the length of the orbit, then you have this body going around another body where one, one side is always facing the other, and that's called tidal locking. It didn't used to be that way. Millions of years ago, when the solar system was first forming, the moon actually went a lot faster than it did now. It was also a lot closer, and it also spun uh, much quicker. So it, it wasn't always tidally locked. But as this interaction with Earth kept going on for millions of years, it slowed the moon down, into an orbit and it slowed the spin rate of the moon down such that it matched its orbit. And so that's why one side of the moon always faces us. That's why
1: we have a permanent
0: dark side of the moon. Yeah. Well, and it's yeah, not I really get, permanent, I get, but I get chastised for that all the time. I, I I call it dark side too, because I love pink Floyd, yeah, but same. Uh, it's actually <laughs> the far side of the moon is what you're supposed to say. Cause it isn't always dark there. It's right. dark to us, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. a Pink Floyd so,
2: lover myself, so I say dark side as well. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm telling you now,
0: Pink Floyd is all there is. I love Pink Floyd. It <laughs> <Yes, laughs>
2: is I all agree. there is.
0: That's <laughs> yes, right. In the beginning, there was Pink Floyd. There was, uh, Pink Floyd. That's right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, so that
2: I, album well, I grew right. up in
0: Planetaria. I mean, I was in high school. I was in Planetaria since I was like 18 years old. And man, back in the day, this is way before your time laser shows were huge on friday nights and and you, you went to the planetarium you got yourself some joints and you you listened to either dark side of the moon or you listened to the wall or whatever it was and they'd play the whole album and you'd sit there and smoke a joint in the planetarium on friday night and that's what you, that's just what you did in the 70s and 80s
1: that was and, a uh, friday night huh so was did, friday night so you never had the chance to listen to like any
0: good music
2: <laughs>
0: oh dude that's oh, messed oh. up <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we have to cut this short. I can't. I can't hear you anymore. Uh, I agree. Thank I you all for joining us. Away. Good music. Oh my! Let's don't even. Well, so okay. What's good? No, music? we
2: only listen to excellent music. That's why. That's, right. <laughs> that's right. Thank you. Okay. Shauna. okay. Yes.
0: Thank you, Shauna. Incredible excellent musicians. Right. If...
2: So,
1: so it is. Uh, it is the far side of the moon. I stand corrected. Right. Not
0: the that's dark right. side of the moon. I do it. That's <laughs> all right. I do it too. Fuck them. Yeah, I agree.
2: <laughs> I don't care. Uh, yeah. I think it's so funny
0: that that's something
1: that's like that's felt, that felt like a 15 yard penalty right there, Tony. Like unnecessary roughness, man. You yeah, know? Know. drop the egg like, bomb
0: on the way. Yeah, I know. Just I got it, for so. something
1: like, oh yeah, they want me to call it that. You know what? Fuck them. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's uh, like you give people all this information, you go through all this trouble of trying to educate people. You say one thing like that, and they jump in your crap about it, and you're like. You know what?
2: True. Yeah. Get over <laughs> it. All right,
0: just get over it. You know, know what? what I at? will. I will never call it the far side of the moon. <laughs> I will <laughs> yeah, never. That's right. you know, dark side. Dark side. <laughs> Going to <laughs> the dark side of the moon. I guess
2: those kind of people don't listen to Pink Floyd. Then <laughs> they're missing out. Or this podcast. <laughs> or this podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I just, I just love the ones that get pedantic with me, and they just want you know, like I called the Big Dipper a constellation once. Now the Big Dipper, technically is not a constellation. It is an asterism. Mm. And I was like, shut up. Just shut up. It's a <laughs> constellation. <laughs> you know, I don't want to, hear. it's part of the Ursa Major constellation.
1: You're the best science communicator ever. <laughs> yeah. You don't <know> want <laughs> just shut up. You know what? Just shut,
0: <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah, I get real far with the kids. They all love me. Oh my God. How stupid are you, man? Yeah, yeah. I will never. Just shut your mouth. <laughs> just, just. Oh, my it. God. Just, over there. Get out. Get out of my star party. Where, you leave. Where are
1: your facts, <laughs> man? Give us something good.
0: Well, okay. One of them was the moon. Just what Shauna said about the moon—that it was actually uh, getting further away from us, and the Earth oh, was slowing down. You can't down. ride that when Charity uh, did
1: that one. You got to show well, up. With okay, something. but I but
0: I'm gonna I have going i got to put an addendum on there, and I don't I, I don't even know if you guys know this, but I did not know this was a thing. This isn't a real fun space fact. You're not going to get laid at a party at this. But did you know that October fourth is Observe the Moon Day or something? Did you guys know that? That is International Observe the Moon Day.
2: No, didn't know it? that. It's, it's called International, international Observe
0: the Moon Night. It's on October 5th. I don't want really bring this up because we're talking about the moon. And yeah. apparently what you do is you can go to one event all around the world. There's a couple here in Florida. And I guess what you do is you go look at the moon on International Observe the Moon Night. Mm. And it happens to coincide with something else I didn't know existed, which was World Space Week, which is October 4th through the 10th. Did you guys know that?
2: No, oh. no, I, had
1: no I idea. didn't either.
0: I didn't know any of the stuff was going on. So these are parties that you can go to folks where your facts will actually make a difference. Maybe. I don't know. We'll that's see. true. Now there's a venue to bring these facts to.
2: Yeah, th- that's yeah. right. That's
0: where great. you won't destroy the party. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, staying close to earth. Then my fact is this. The one of them anyway is the earth's magnetic field reverses periodically. And we are about to enter into it. All the signs are pointing to another reversal happening now. And for those of you who don't know, the Earth's magnetic field is hugely important to life here on Earth because it protects us from all the solar radiation, not all of it, but most of the deadly solar radiation. It certainly protects us from all the solar storms that hit us and it is rotating it is shifting the north you know how you get a magnet or you look you look at a compass and you see the north uh, the compass points north well over the course of the next oh i don't know 11,000 years or so it's going to slowly start to move further and further away from north and what happens is the Earth's core, the iron in, in the in the molten center of the earth, is magnetized. That's where the magnetic field comes from. It's called a magneto. And it's swirling around in the center of our earth. Well, some clumps of iron start to swirl around and they're magnetic, their little magnets, because iron is a very magnetic material, starts to point the other way. And if enough clumps in the molten core of the earth start turning the other way, it affects the entire planet's magnetic field and it doesn't happen quickly it happens over the course of about 11,000 years but it, well past flips anyway have gone from 1,000 to 11,000 years but the thing about it is as it starts to turn as it starts to flip the strength of that magnetic field starts to go down and that's where we're vulnerable it during a reversal the strength of the magnetic field gets not only confused where there's lots of different North and South poles pointing everywhere, but they get weaker as an overall strength. And that leaves us pretty vulnerable to a lot of things from the sun. So it's a pretty scary time. Uh, those 11,000 years. (laughs) Yeah. There will be no no Northern lights, no Northern lights during Uh, that period. Well, there might be northern lights, but there might also be uh, equatorial lights because the the magnetic field just becomes a mess. And all these north-south poles start popping up everywhere as the thing gets in the middle of its flip until finally it starts to settle some, you know, few thousand years down the road into the north pole being predominantly pointing toward the southern spin axis of the earth. Uh, So the north pole, magnetic pole, will actually be near Australia instead of near Greenland like it is now so that was pretty cool I thought that's a good way to scare all the people at the party and they'll be like oh dude thanks man I'm really bummed now <laughs> yeah so as
1: it gets weaker the protection that the earth has from the Sun right because the sun is tr- constantly trying to kill us right. all the time yeah and so yep. I mean that's that's that's, that's what causes actor. that's what causes the northern and southern lights correct is the sun trying to kill us?
0: <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. All these charged particles zooming out of the sun collect in the North North Pole, most of the North Pole and the South Pole yeah. as well. No matter where it hits the magnetic Earth, field.
1: It, the Earth grabs it and pushes it to the poles,
0: mm-hmm. no matter yeah. where
1: it is. And so it all collects there and then lights up the sky. But if yeah, it the. Glows. Yeah, if, like you're saying, as it gets weaker and weaker and it just kind of is uh, collecting in different areas, it seems like the shield that the Earth has will no longer.
0: Work for anything, certainly not as well. I don't think it goes to zero, and I couldn't find out just how weak the magnetic field gets because I don't think people really know. The last time this happened was 773,000 years ago, so you know, Neanderthals were busy roaming the earth, so we didn't really have a good grip back then on what would happen. But it, yeah, it gets weaker as a whole, and how much weaker I don't think anybody knows. But that's that'd be an important thing to know, yeah. And they're saying though that that magnetic field reversal, the one that happened 700 and something thousand years ago, uh, actually took twice as long as, 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 as many others, like it took 22,000 years. So these things can take a really, really long time. How, how is that information gathered? I can't, I can't imagine yeah, how, how. Yeah. Um, mostly uh, from, well, the magnetic field strength of the earth is measured with magnetometers that are in satellites in orbit. But that's so, current, that's
1: current information. So how do right, they know what it was? Stuff. Yeah how do they know what it was 700,000 years ago?
0: Well, I think, um, I don't really know what kind of magnetic, magnets. F-
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think, I, I don't know for sure, but there's this, there's this field of study called, uh, paleo, uh, climatology or something like that, where you can, it's what they use to figure out what the gases of the atmosphere were, were yeah. all these hundreds of thousands of years ago. I think the same information or the same stuff can glean information about the magnetic field strength of the earth. It's an indirect inference, but the way we get it now is we directly measure the magnetic field. In fact, that's really the only way to measure a magnetic field is by being in it. Um, uh, We, we have other telescopes that can look at things like the magnetic field of the sun and, and, and infer based on things like charged particles and stuff, what it's doing, how strong that magnetic field is, but it's not a direct measurement. And so right now the satellites are directly measuring a, shifting of this um of these magnetic poles and they're thinking that it's starting now this this reversal and so but i think there may be information in the fossil record or in, in ice cores or something that can give some indirect evidence of what the magnetic field was like. But I don't think people really know. I mean, you could run a mo- you could run a model, maybe,
1: you know, if that information is accurate, how that can be deduced from such limited information, because it sounds like and I'm sure it's a fascinating science. I'm sure it is. But it sounds like some bullshit somebody would come up with to try to get a grant, you know, like when they're like, well, <laughs> everybody's everybody's got all the other good ideas. Like, Let's call it paleoclimatology.
2: And, 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 <laughs> and like,
0: it's probably paleogeology, too, where you get yeah. the same thing out of it. You know, you look at, I don't know, maybe there's some magnets embedded in some rock somewhere that you can look at and go, oh, look, they're, they're, uh, their poles are different. Maybe yeah. that's how they do it. I don't know. Yeah. They study what the dinosaurs wrote down. <laughs> yeah. That's also why I'm not really a planetary. Uh, I never wanted to be a planetary scientist because I find that stuff kind of boring. I once went to a a talk about Curio- the not the Curiosity rover, but the Spirit and Opportunity rovers when they were pretty new. I went to a talk. And I took my boys and I was bored out of my mind because all we saw was <laughs> here's a picture of a rock. And here's another picture of a rock where we drilled a hole in the rock. And you can see there's little <laughs> dust particles in the rock. Mm-hmm. And. I was like, Oh God. Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, I just don't care about rocks and I don't care about geology, but it's some, but people do. And it's a good thing to study. Just not, it's just not for me. It doesn't hold, doesn't hold my attention. So I could really to be a planetary scientist is to be a geologist. What,
2: what did your boys think of that?
0: Um, well, we were at Fisk planetarium and they had, this was, they had their game boys. And so,
2: Oh, they were
0: just playing their game boys. I
2: can't,
1: I can't help it in those moments. I'm so bad at those things, you know, where, where people are having these talks and you have to, you know, you have to have like, especially if you know the person, the premeditated smile and all of it, like, I'm so bad at that. I can hold it for. 20 seconds. And then I just look like I just look like I smell something awful. You know? I I I, can
0: always tell when I've lost you, Dustin. I can (laughs) I can see it. It's like, oh, I just lost Dustin. There he
1: goes. (laughs) It's just that look, it's like, dear God, you're still talking about that. Oh my
0: God, you're still saying things that (laughs) I don't care about. (laughs) Jesus
1: all right i got another fact man i got another fact okay let's hear it this one is uh pretty pretty impressive this one really is um oh good the sun right so our our star the sun outputs more energy in one tenth of one second that's not a lot of time so the sun outputs more energy in one tenth of one second than all of the pink floyd hits ever recorded oh Oh. no that's not real that's that's impressive that is
0: that is amazing here's what it really is the sun
1: outputs more energy in one second than all of the earth's energy consumption in one year
0: yeah i believe that there's a lot of energy over there that's pretty cool
1: yeah, that's, um, you know, but I mean, we, we have a lot going on here on Earth as well. And the Earth itself is putting out a lot of energy. So you think about how much that really is. So, I mean, a multiple, how many seconds are there in a year? A lot.
2: Yeah. A lot. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like at least like 50, 60. Right? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of seconds. So um, I'm sure we could do the math. Tony, you can probably do that in your head. I mean, to think that in in one second
0: or even a fraction
1: of a second, right, that's...
0: I don't know. No, it's to me, fusion, that, that's man. Amazing. Nuclear yeah. fusion is, you know, people get on my case because I've I've long been a proponent of nuclear power in in on Earth. I think that the the technology that you need to develop to properly operate a fission plant, a nuclear fission plant that takes uranium and fuses it, uh, is the same kind of technology that's going to help you with a fusion plant, which is the ultimate goal. There's so much energy by taking two atoms and, and fusing them into a larger atom that's released, that it's just inconceivable. I mean, it's, it's how stars shine. And they do that for, you know, billions of years. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that that if we ever did go to nuclear fusion as a power source, uh, we'd never want for energy ever, ever. The problem is that we can actually do it. We can do fusion. It's just uncontrolled. It's in the form of a hydrogen bomb. And so we really can't do much with that energy other than make other people suffer. But, uh, but, you know, I've always thought that nuclear fission is the thing to keep building on, you know, be smart about it. Don't, you know, I'm not saying be an idiot and build a Chernobyl, but, you know, build something really, you know, a good design reactor that will last. We've had reactors that have been trouble free for gosh, 50 years. Right. So, I think it's good technology, and I I think it's definitely going to be as, as as global warming becomes more of an issue, and people get pissed off when the sun doesn't shine and their solar panels aren't working, or the wind's not blowing, and the and the the turbines aren't turning. Then you know they're going to be like, "Wow, oh, nuclear power is pretty cool, man. Let's get some of those up because they're always up." And to be sure, okay, the the waste that comes out of it is really, really bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's bad stuff. You don't want to mess with the nuclear waste that comes out of a nuclear reactor. I mean, I think for a 500 megawatt reactor, the amount of nuclear waste that comes out of it is very dangerous, but it's also very condensed. It'll fit in a refrigerator. The um, It's about refrigerator sized the amount of waste that comes out of a nuclear power plant. And you store that properly and um, even, you can even reprocess it and use it for more energy if you Wanted to do it really right, so there's a lot of future I think in nuclear power. But I get a lot of shit for it because people are afraid of it, and I'm, you know, energy is dangerous business no matter what you do. But um, it's definitely the road I think for the future. So fusion is that's the power of the sun. That's that's what that argues in favor of to me. So. I've got another sun fact because this one. I thought I, I thought I might have lost you there, Dustin. You got real quiet. No,
1: no, no, no. It's. <laughs> it's. it's um...
0: He
2: was making that face. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: yeah, I thought you I could did. see him. I could hear him. I'll be honest. Face. You definitely lost me. You definitely lost me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know I did. So no. <laughs> I can't even lie. You did. You really did. But anyway, it's because I'm looking at something here. I clicked on a picture and that's what got me. You know, I clicked on a picture and then it's like the whole butterfly thing. I was like looking at the butterfly, you know, but um, Uh, here's the fact that I got and I think this one's really impressive. Um, I knew that Betelgeuse and Antares, you know those two stars in the night sky, they're pretty pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. They stand out and they're bright red, so they're they're closer to the end of their lives. You know, I've, I've heard some people say that Betelgeuse, one of the stars in Orion, I think it's what the left shoulder of Orion. Uh, uh, yeah, as
0: you're looking at it, it's the
1: yeah, yeah it's, it's the left, the left shoulder. It, yeah. So just above the belt and to the left, you can see this bright red star above orion's belt and that is Betelgeuse, and so that star is so massive as a lot of stars are at the end of their life when they start to turn that bright red color usually that's the kind of an identifier for stars in the night sky when you see these red stars is they're later in life and they're huge right yeah. um but it's so swollen that if you placed it where our sun was it would swallow mercury it would swallow venus it would swallow the earth Whoa. it would swallow mars and touch Jupiter.
2: Oh, wow.
1: That's how big it is. <laughs> that's a, And Antares, that's Antares makes Betelgeuse look small. So these are, oh, wow. these are very, very, very large stars. And it, it just shows you how average our sun actually is. Right.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Except that when it dies, it's also going to turn into a red giant. It's going to expand into a red giant. So it'll get that large as well. But uh, it's not as massive, so it won't explode in a supernova. It'll just turn into a planetary nebula. But a uh, Betelgeuse, I think, will explode. Betelgeuse, I think they're saying is going to blow up. So is so. it?
1: Uh, it has to do with what? How much? Um, I mean, how much energy? Mass? How much mass the star has mm-hmm. on whether or not it will mm-hmm. explode, and the rest of them would just fizzle out.
0: Yeah, they just the way it works is, um, Reg, uh, the sun will will start to burn off its uh hydrogen fuel and then it'll start to fuse helium and these other higher energy elements and it'll just start to swell up and get really big and it will it will expand up to at least mars but maybe out to jupiter mm-hmm. depends on the models you run i guess mm-hmm. and then it will just keep expanding it'll, the outer envelope will be sort of just shed it won't explode it'll just be left out into the into the solar system and it will look a lot like, um, you know, the ring nebula, for example, that's what, that's what that, that is an image of the sun in our future. That's what the sun will do. It'll just poof out into this ring kind of planetary nebula and it'll leave behind a white dwarf star, which is, uh, another very strange thing, very similar to neutron stars are just not as big. They're about the size of a, of a city, I think maybe a New York city or something. It's also, Neutron degenerate, so it's got all this mass issue and all that kind of stuff. But the white dwarfs are what the sun will, so it'll be a remnant that our sun lets out. So,
1: you know, I think that it'll be beautiful,
0: it'll be beautiful, but it won't be an explosion, yeah.
1: Well, and and it's, um, I mean, it's going to give everybody a close up of a new target to image, right? You say that's right, like the ring, ring nebula, right? If you're on
0: Jupiter or Hopefully, you know, maybe Uranus or even Pluto, you're going to get a ringside seat. That's what uh, all the astronomers are thinking uh, right now. They're like,
1: wait, you mean I can shoot a new ring nebula from like right here?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I won't even need a telescope, bro.
1: It'll be just like, like just a DSLR. (laughs) Just my (laughs) lens. Yeah. Just
0: my lens. Okay. I'd just be able to look up a seat. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I'm
1: really looking forward to that. So, um, yeah, you know, when we're talking about Orion, though, I think it's one of the more interesting spots in the, the night sky um you know it's always it just stands out for one thing if if people can identify no other constellation most people can go outside and identify orion
2: yeah true that's true it just yeah. it
1: stands out it just pops in the night sky and it, it's beautiful it has all these different colors you can see the orion nebula from dark skies with your bare eyes which is fascinating yeah right that's amazing. to see a stellar nursery where new stars are being born with your bare eyes from earth that's that's incredible yeah, that but is. i think there's some interesting things about orion and one of those is that we just talked about Betelgeuse, the the left shoulder of orion but opposite that so if you go from Betelgeuse, the red star through the belt down to the right foot so cr- exactly you know diagonal across the belt then um it's the opposite of what Betelgeuse is it's a a blue star a bright blue star and it's burning much much hotter so According to the facts here from NASA, this it burns three and a half times hotter than Betelgeuse does, and so the blue stars are burning at twenty. That that star in particular, at least, is burning twenty thousand degrees. So, what is that? That's twice as hot as the sun, right? I think the sun's mm.
0: ten thousand. Yeah, because the sun's about, well, it's it's about 7,500 in the photosphere. So,
1: I mean, this thing's burning at 20,000 degrees, and these blue stars burn much, much hotter, but they're a lot younger, right? And they can still be very,
0: very large. But, um, well, they don't live long either. They they only live a few hundred million years. Burning too hot, huh? Yeah, burning bright and hot and bright. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's not, and Rigel's the same way. Rigel's up in the. Other shoulder of Orion. That's no, it's Rigel is what I'm too. talking it's
1: about. Blues. So Beetlejuice is, yeah, is the left shoulder, Rigel is the right foot.
0: Is it? I always thought, why did I think Rigel was the other shoulder? I guess. Okay. Yeah, because you don't cool. know much about space. Because I, I don't know much about,
1: yeah. <laughs> no, the, <laughs> it's weird that the I got not right wrong. The right shoulder is also yeah, that's blue, Rigel. but it's Bellatrix.
0: Bellatrix, okay. Yeah.
1: All right. I love the name. Bellatrix uh, the, Lestrange is
0: the right. <laughs> for you harry yeah, potter fans yeah, yeah.
1: that's right that's the right shoulder
0: it's easy to remember <laughs> hey uh as an imager though orion is is also just stunning because you, no matter where you point your camera you get something and it's like you can't i mean you can't image orion really? without hitting it it's huge it's one of the biggest nebula <laughs> yeah, it surrounds
1: gonna. the entire constellation I and mean, it's so big and the left star of orion's belt is the Horsehead nebula and the flame awesome. the flame nebula are the left star of orion's belt and then orion nebula is right below that then you've got what m78 is right there you've got the witch's head nebula is right there in orion you've got uh what else is right there barnard's loops the whole thing i mean there's not a, there's not a place you can point a camera and
0: not find hydrogen alpha in orion that's yeah anywhere yeah. that's right there's these huge clouds of hydrogen gas glowing in the red right. that you can image not too you know difficult i don't think it's right Um, next to that certainly not orion nebula it's right next to that
1: that everything else is i mean you've got the crab nebula is right there by it um closer to uh what's the star in um what's the eye of the bull the red star there um Oh, Aldebaran. Aldebaran, yeah, right right by that. You've got uh, the Crab Nebula we were just talking about with the neutron star at the center. Then you've got um, the Rosette Nebula and the Cone Nebula right there to shoot. I mean, that that part of the sky in the
0: fall is, I mean, it, it's tough to beat for an imager. Yeah, a lot of really good, easy targets and some challenging ones. The horse head is really challenging, I think, because yeah. you got to get, what is it, Zeta Orionis is in the way, and you got to somehow image it without that bright star <laughs> yeah. screwing everything yeah. up. How do you do that? Do you do you like occult it or you just put it off out of the frame? How do you, how do you image? The uh, it's day? not as big. Cause a, you've taken some good. Yeah. Images. Thank you.
1: I, it's not as big a deal for me because I don't shoot much luminance data. I shoot almost, you know, exclusively narrowband stuff. So the stars are so limited because of that anyway. I mean, I'm rejecting, oh, okay. you know, 90 plus percent of the light, 99% of the light sometimes. And, uh, yeah, so I don't have to, I don't have the bloated star issues. Do you use the triad on that or something? Yeah. Else? The triad is, I mean, the shots that we've taken of it with the triad, you can actually, so we did a wide field of the horse head the orion nebula barnard's loop the whole thing with the triad filter and it pulled all of it. i mean because those are you know the triad ultras four nanometers across four bands and uh yeah i mean it's just a big narrow band shot of the whole thing and you can just kind of see how dense that area really is it's incredible
0: that's always been a hard one for me for whatever reason. I always, I've never been satisfied with my yeah. attempts at imaging that, but it's not a naked eye. It's not something you can see through a telescope. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need a, you need to definitely uh, image it to see it. And so that's one of the things I've always sort of, I always kind of measure how, how even my respect for an imager is how well, how good their horse head nebula images are because they're so always, it's always been so hard for me. Yeah. That's the cool thing about
1: Orion, though, is it's where everybody starts and it's where everybody goes once they get uh, a little more familiar with imaging. Once they get good, they go back to it all because it's a great place for beginners because this stuff is bright. It's, um, It's easy to get an image of it. It's hard to get a good image of it. You know, because there there are a lot Uh of challenging things like you have to shoot Orion in HDR. You have to do really short exposures to get the core because it's so bright. And then you have to do really long exposures to get all the faint dust and everything and then combine those. So it's a very challenging technique. But, you know, it's also the beginner target where you don't care that you blow the core out. You just take an image and then, holy shit, there's the Orion. You
0: see these wispy (laughs) clouds. I know you're like, oh, my God, look at that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely easy and impressive. All right. Well, we're, uh, gosh, man, we've been just chatting for almost an hour. Um, so, uh, should I give a, give one more or do you have another one? Let's hear yours. Mine's simple. Mine's really easy. I wanted to end it with a, with something that I think about a lot. It's a simple question, but I don't think a lot of people really think about the answer that much. When you go outside Dustin and Shauna and you just don't, you know, you're getting ready to set up your telescope and you're out to have a night of observing and you're looking up, and it's clear you're out at, um, you know, you're out in the desert where your your observatory is or wherever you happen to be. How many stars do you think you can see on a clear dark night? How many are up there? Do you think? Wow, that's um, I'm glad that this answer doesn't have
1: consequences attached to it, right? This is <laughs> challenging one, but I can tell you. Um, I can tell you that when you're out there you know, in these dark skies, especially some of the darker skies in the country, and you look up, there are not many places you can look in the sky and not see a star. It's not like what you're used to in cities where it looks like mostly black space and then you have sprinkled stars. It's a wall, especially where the Milky Way is. It's an actual wall of stars where there is no empty space. So, But I, I have no idea what the answer would be to how many that is. Do you have a guess, Shauna?
2: Oh gosh, yeah, I don't even know to be honest.
0: <laughs> it depends obviously on when you're looking, because right. in the northern hemisphere in the summertime and towards Sagittarius, you see the center of the galaxy, things like that. But the stars that are up in the sky are estimated, on average, throughout the year, to be about forty five hundred. That's how many you can. And it also depends on where you are, right? You're only going to see uh, a few in a city, but in in the country on a clear dark night, you see about forty five hundred stars. Now, I saw an astronomer make an estimate back when the SpaceX um, Starlink satellites were being launched and he was like freaking out, they were freaking out about Elon Musk uh, ruining our night skies. He estimated it at close to 9,000. So yeah, that, I used to think it was 3,000, but then I did a I, I did a ma- I did some math and figured it out. It's come out closer to 4,500. He said 9,000, but he was yeah. willing to so go down So
1: 4,500 just- is how many stars you can
0: see on average, you're saying from a dark sky throughout the year on a clear dark night and obviously that's subjective without the moon. I think most
1: people so many things most people would think that number would be much much higher. You know.
2: Yeah. yeah. I know. You would think so. (laughs) Because you know so I did
1: a I did a star counter algorithm on my last image the one I posted on Instagram and if you look at so I, I did posted like five of them there's the narrow band but the second or the third image is just the luminance data with the color data added and you can see the entire image is just stars, right? It's just stars. And this is one very small section of sky and it counted 88,000 stars in that one image. In that,
0: oh, wow. Right, but you have to remember, you're collecting photons over oh, a no, long Oh, no, 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 I agree. Our, I'm I, saying I think that's why people would assume the number would be
1: so much greater.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah just, just you know, just uh, common sense would say, oh, 10,000, 20,000 stars, I bet I can oh. see a million. Well, maybe you can only see <laughs> 3,500. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With your sad glasses on and your old man eyes. <laughs> well, that's just sad. But I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. It's, it's a good way to kind of visualize, you know, numbers, right? That's about four, 5,000. That's what 5,000 looks like, you know, and, and uh, you can kind of expand when people say things like, you know, there are millions or billions of stars in a galaxy, you kind of get a sense of of just maybe how that connects. So... I like that. That's it's um, I like to think about stuff like that when I'm looking up just simple, simple stuff, you know, and also the fact that there are thanks to Kepler and other uh, uh, exoplanet telescopes. We know that there are more planets up there than there are stars in our galaxy. There's a for every one star, there's one point six planets on average in orbit around it. So that's 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 neat to think about, too. Yeah. Have either of you been to a sky dark
1: enough to see the Andromeda galaxy with your bare eyes?
2: Yeah.
0: A couple times. Rocky Mountain National Park. I saw
2: it. I don't think I've seen it yet. Um, you haven't? No.
1: It, what's amazing it. about it is how big it is. Yeah. You know, when you can see it up there, it's just, you know, you think about it, it's, it's what six full moon diameters is how wide that thing is. And so you wow. think like, I'm looking for this Three this degrees. tiny dot that's going to be out there and you're not like it's a huge looks like a huge tear across the sky like it's yeah. it's big it's wow. not at all like this tiny thing
2: that's crazy <laughs> yeah. yeah i still need to see that
0: <laughs> you go do you go to landers that's
1: where your observatory is right yeah guys? landers isn't the darkest place but uh yeah it's that's where some of the observatories are
0: OK, well, next time you go out there or someplace like it, try to use your averted vision, Shauna, because that's the best way yeah. to do it. Look a little bit to the side and you'll you'll just get glimpses. You'll just get like this overwhelming just flash. and It won't be bright. It'll just be something your mind is. You, sometimes you'll think you're making yeah. it up yeah. that it's there. But it when you start to really just calm down and just relax a little bit, you start to see that just how big that galaxy is.
1: Yeah. When people first told me that, that that's how you're supposed to view astronomy is with averted vision, I thought that, you know, this is like such a cop-out. This is such a cop-out to be like, well, if you just use your imagination and you don't look at it,
2: <laughs> think <Yeah>. happy thoughts, <laughs> then you can see it.
1: And it's like, is that right? Oh is that God. right? I bet I can.
0: <laughs> you just, I, I think just, I can. I think I can. Just oh, don't look at it and you can see
1: it. It's like what are we talking about right now? you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go use my camera instead you know but uh, but it does it does work though it does work. it does work.
0: Well yeah, and the reason there's science for it. I mean the reason is the edges of your retina, the rods and the cones in your eyes, uh, I think it's the, the, I don't know if it's the rods or the cones that see color. I forget, but one of those two are more central or more, uh, in the, in the center of your retina and the, the, uh, other one, whichever sees the, the gray light better, uh, is off, uh, to the edge of your eye. And that's why you look slightly averted at it, not directly at it, um, to to get the light those photons to hit the side of your retina it does work
1: and i have tried it and uh, all of that so getting like your eyes dark adapted works definitely that's a huge difference you know so that's why people get very upset Mm -hmm. when you're shining lights out there and things because it takes a while to get your eyes truly dark adapted um and then using averted vision definitely helps you know and then having like quality eyepieces makes a huge difference too i've noticed that um you know and then these hundred degree degree eyepieces because you can kind of use your averted vision through some of this stuff it uh it makes a big difference but um it's it's really interesting to to be able to like look out and just see i mean when you're looking at andromeda and you think this is two and a half million light years away right million light years away it's like we're looking at another galaxy this isn't another world like this may as well be another universe yeah right it's so big And, uh, it's just, I mean, it really is. Even that one galaxy for me just feels beyond comprehension.
2: Right.
1: And that's one, Yeah, that's one.
0: (laughs) And did you know, here's another fun fact to make you popular at parties that a hundred years ago, just a little over a hundred years ago, we did not know that there were other galaxies in the universe besides our own. We didn't know. Yeah. We called them nebulae. The Andromeda galaxy was called the Andromeda nebula back before Hubble came along. So that's how new this information is. <laughs>
2: That's incredible. Yeah,
0: it
1: uh, it really is amazing how far all of this has come in the last hundred years.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: And it's happening now.
0: Well, guys, we have single-handedly armed every man and woman listening to this podcast with an arsenal of material that will make every party henceforth a real swing in place. And... uh you know, it is going to be you are now your enjoyment in parties is going to skyrocket because of the, what you've learned in this podcast, folks. So don't thank yeah. us. It's all right. It's yeah. free. It's all. We're, we're not we're just heroes. We gave that to you. We're so not joy That's right. No. no, we're just here. We're just doing it. We're just slogging through a day in and a day out, <laughs> providing you with what you need to interact with the opposite sex. And so now you have what you need <sighs> or the same sex, whatever. Proven. Whatever. To be effective. Activities you have there. Yes. (laughs) Because God knows Dustin and I, boy, our dating lives are just, you know, (laughs) (laughs) wait. The line goes around the block, folks.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. I can't tell you I've never walked into a date and said, uh, so... You ready to hear some
0: space, so, <laughs> some space facts? That's, that's your problem, man. That's there
2: you that's, go. Yeah. That's your problem right there.
0: See, we've just fixed it. We've so many people oh. are going to thank us. You watch the testimonials are going to come in. Thank you, Dustin, and Tony, and Shauna for all you've done for me today. I uh, my life has just gotten so much more exciting. <laughs> thank you, Tony.
1: Tony, it's always so,
0: so appreciated the work you do for everyone. <laughs> Yes, well, it's the, you know, it's I'm it's a tireless, you know, unending task, but that's that's what I've set up for myself. So, don't thank me. It's all right. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, I guess we want to sign off, Dustin. No, or we got something no. more. You got to get any other I facts? I think that uh, that, that okay. did it. Yeah. We've done enough damage. <laughs> yeah, we've we've done enough so far. <laughs> all right guys well i will uh i will work on getting this out asap because it's been a couple weeks since we posted so i'm going to get this out as soon as possible Uh, on behalf of dustin and shauna of opt telescopes i'm tony darnell thank you so much for listening and as always keep looking up